Welcome to Literary Friction. I'm Octavia Bright, here with my co-host Carrie Plitt. And today we're bringing you Minisode 9, fresh from freezing Dalston. Um, hi Carrie, how are you doing? I'm great, thank you. Cold, but yeah. fine. Chilly. And it's our last Minisode of 2019. So we thought we'd make this our year in review show and look back over some of our favorite reads from 2019 and some of our resolutions for the year ahead, plus the usual cultural recommendations. That's right. It's a good old list. So if you need some inspiration for what books to buy people for Christmas, then listen closely. Also, here's your annual reminder to support your local independent bookshop and not order everything online. Not only because you get the solace of knowing you're participating in responsible capitalism as far as this is ever possible, but also they will always stock fantastic work from independent presses um, like Insular Press, Influx, Prototype, to name check, just a few uh, who are publishing really brilliant avant-garde work. And you know Uncle Joe wants some brilliant avant-garde work. <laughs> <laughs> you know Uncle Joe should have, so he deserves it. He needs his mind opening over the turkey or whatever it might be that you're having. I'm having this wonderful image of you like passing out presents to all of your family members and then being like, oh, thank you, Octavia, <laughs> once again. A esoteric poetry collection. How wonderful. I believe in passive-aggressive gift giving. I do. It's like, it's like eat your medicine, motherfucker. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Wish I was in your family. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I do it with such love. And the thing is, I wrap them incredibly beautifully. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, like, who, it's about getting the gifts rather than the gifts that you're getting. That's right. I believe. Yeah, exactly. But I, I also think I'm just going to hammer it home again. Buy local. Yes. Yeah, I completely agree with that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Also, an update on our tote bags. We have figured out a way to sell them and they're up on Etsy. So please, please, please buy them. It goes towards supporting our show. We think they look pretty good. They're very durable. They're not flimsy. They are, you know, eco, sustainable, all of the things that you would want. And even if you don't listen to Larry Friction, although then you wouldn't be hearing me say this. But <laughs> but we think, you know, a fun literary pun is great on a bag. We do. No matter what. Also, the banging logo that was designed for us by our friend Billy Temple is an absolute delight yeah, to look it's at. it's great. Um, I will also say that I have road tested the shit out of this bag with my laptop and books in it, my swimming kit in it, many bits of picnic food in it. It survived all of these things. Um, the only thing was that the dye from my coat came off on the bag, which was not the bag's fault, but the coat's bag. It's the coat's fault. Oh so God. don't wear a coat that might rub off on this bag, <laughs> I think is the lesson we're <laughs> taking from that. Vintage coats can be a pain in your ass. Yeah. Um, but yeah, please, please, please buy a tote. We will be eternally grateful. We really will. Buy a tote for Uncle Joe. <laughs> yeah. Might be a better present for Uncle oh, Joe. Burn. Or you could slip some esoteric poetry into the tote bag. This is exactly right. You buy the tote for Uncle Joe, you put in whatever the latest Bill fucking Bryson book is, and then you put <laughs> <laughs> your esoteric poetry. I, I bought the Bill Bryson book for my dad for his birthday. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm going to send your dad a book of poetry. All right, he'd probably like it. <laughs> Christmas solved. <laughs> Hanukkah for him, but yes. Hanukkah solved. There we go. We have to deal. The facts are given by the way we used to live and we used to stay. At any direction of the book you listen to, you find phrase. Who know what?
So, Carrie Blitt, I want to hear all about your favourite books of 2019. I know that we actually don't have enough time to do every single one of them justice. So you've given me a little hit list, right? Yeah, I've given you a hit list. Three of them were actually published in 2019, which I know is in the spirit of these lists recently. And one is just a book that I really loved reading in 2019. Perfect. So first of all, um, a book that we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks on the actual show, but The Topeka School by Ben Lerner was, was one of my books of 2019, also published in 2019. This novel dazzled me and I loved its interrogation of masculinity, family, whiteness, America. It's not the most playful of learners' novels, and that's one of the criticisms that I've actually heard of it, that it's quite self-serious. Um, it's not that funny. It's also not like an emotional. I don't know why I'm being critical of the book that I recommend. <laughs> Never mind. No, lay it I out. loved it. Well, it's not, I mean, learners' writing is not the most emotional writing in the world. It's not It's not going to interrogate the depths of like the human heart. But what it does is somehow manages to use this cleverness to these amazing fictional ends where you feel like he's pulled off this just like spectacular interrogation of the American psyche in a way that I really haven't encountered for a long time. And I, I just think he's brilliant and speaks to the present moment, but also feels like it's quite timeless, which I think, again, is so hard to pull off. And he's really done in this novel. Yeah, I loved that book. It was a brilliant read. I think also, like, why can't some writers be more cerebral and less heart based, you know? Yeah, I think it's just about taste, isn't it? Totally. Yeah. And that thing where we expect one writer to be able to do all things, which is just totally unreasonable. Yeah, I, I agree. And again, I don't know why I'm being so critical because I actually did love it. You love to give a balance. I do. Yeah, I always qualify things. And maybe that's, I don't know, maybe I should stop that. What's your first recommendation? My first one is another book that we um, had on the show. On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous by Ocean Vuong, who, sadly, you were away for the interview, but I had this amazing conversation yes, I know. with him. I know all about it. It was great. You had a mind meld. You love each other. It's fine. It's I great. mean, I'm still a little embarrassed by one of the photos of me just gazing at him adoringly afterwards. My boyfriend was like, do I need to be worried? Yes. yes. <laughs> anyway, this novel came along at a time when I wasn't reading that much fiction, and it really, really got me back into it. And... Uh, I was so grateful because I'd been looking for something and it just nothing was quite working. You know, it's like when you try on a thousand outfits and you just don't feel good. I was having that with novels. And then this book landed in my lap. Um, it's, you know, he's a poet first and foremost. So this is his first novel. And the prose is so glorious and rich and poetic. But he manages never to lose himself to it, which is the great skill of it. And there are passages that get more florid than others and he teeters on the edge of it but he never ever lets go it's really really tightly plotted and carefully considered um and always still telling the story so he paints this really evocative picture of the character's lives and it's a story of little dog who's a Vietnamese American it's loosely based on his own life and the relationship of this character with his mother also his first experiences of falling in love with another guy um, but it's also a really sharp look at the politics of immigration in America and the reality of, of living, you know, in poor communities in the middle of sort of nowhere. It makes really clever commentary about America, but it's it's a queer story. So it's not trying to be the great American novel. And I respected it so much for that because it actually is the great American novel. Mm. And it's the first time I've read one that's not trying to be and isn't claiming to be and therefore actually 
completely hits it on the nose. He's also a very tender writer and the tenderness with which he treats his characters was a gift. And finally, the thing I love probably the most about it is it's actually incredibly optimistic. And there are moments where characters you know you encounter them and they feel like they're going to be archetypes of a particular kind and he flips it and he lets them be good even though they've gone through these things that you might imagine would make them not good and that's the kind of writing I'm interested in reading right now you know I'm pro-utopia in literature um so yeah read it give it to Uncle Joe Uncle Joe needs to read this book (laughs) my confession is I haven't actually read it yet oh you're gonna love it it's not a confession it will come when the time is right you'll have the space for it and it will enrich you great what's next Next is This Is Pleasure by Mary Oh my God, I've been wanting to talk to you about this. We both Uh, loved. We've Um, actually saved this conversation to have now between the two of us because we knew we both loved it and wanted to talk about it. I want to hear your thoughts. Well, so this was actually first published in The New Yorker. It's novella length, maybe even shorter than a novella. It's almost like a long short story. But who cares what it is? We don't like classification, Yes, exactly. But I literally read this on my phone on the journey from Camberwell back to Oxford on a summer day. And I didn't look up from my phone until I was done reading. And I hate reading on my phone, which shows you just how immersive and great it is. Now Serpent's Tale have published a very beautiful little hardback, which would make a great Christmas gift for Uncle Joe, who really needs to learn about the issues brought up in this book, which is it's the most nuanced, best written look at our present moment in the context of Me Too that I have read by far. It's about a male publisher who gets embroiled in a Me Too scandal and his friend, Margot, who has to reconsider their friendship in light of his behavior that she is always dismissed and or or sort of overlooked or excused. And it's brilliant. It's non-judgmental in the way the best literature is. It's so sharply written. It shows you why literature is great at responding to what's happening in our culture because it can interrogate in a way that other art forms or articles or think pieces can't. And it just made me want to read more of Mary Gateskill because she seems like such a master. And um, I've heard Bad Behavior is great, so I might read that over Christmas, actually. Yeah, I want to read it too. I loved the way that she really looks at complicity and what complicity means. And if you tried to do that in nonfiction or in journalism, you would be accusing somebody of something and it would be a huge thing. But because we're in the world of fiction, you know, she's able to leave those spaces and looking at Margot's complicity as a a microcosm for the complicity of women with men, bad men in quote. I'm like wildly quoting my fingers here, (laughs) which you can't see. But, you know, this question of what do we do with bad men? What does bad what does a bad man even mean in the wake of Me Too? We all have them in our lives. Are they truly bad? Are we bad for loving them anyway? Do we excuse them? Do we not? Do we reject them? Do we welcome them? Are we bad feminists? All of this. It's a really, really brilliant meditation on all of that. It was interesting, though, because I remember seeing a lot of the press in reaction to it and not actually reading the articles, but just seeing the top lines being like, you know, Mary Gateskill traitor. Like there was some kind of... Really? Yeah, there was some quite intense reaction against it, which made me think people hadn't read it very carefully or maybe hadn't read it, but had read a pressy of it and totally misunderstood it. I think if you see these political issues in black and white, you would think her a traitor because she... She doesn't crucify the bad man. She she tries to understand both of these people who in different ways are complicit in bad behavior. It's interesting, though, because I, I disagreed with 
some of the stuff that I'd seen that said that she, by writing it, rehabilitated him. I didn't find that. I found that she she let him hang himself with his own rope in my reading of it. It was like she she gets under his skin and she tries to look at how it would be for him. But in no way does that excuse him. I didn't feel like she was on his side and I didn't feel like she was asking us to be on his side either because the behavior was so bad that yeah. it was just like, yeah, you're you're an idiot, you know? Totally. And speaking of complicity, I love that the way we examine complicity is not through looking at somebody else's behavior, but looking at how they conceive of their own behavior. Exactly. I, th- I thought that was so, so smart. brilliant. Yeah, so smart. It's great. Everyone should read it. Yeah, yeah. highly recommend it. It's also one of those stories that I want to talk about with as many people as I can because yes. I want to hear everyone's different responses. What's your next book? Next on my list, no one will be surprised to hear that it's Trick Mirror by Gia Tolentino, which I know you also absolutely yeah. loved. Um, and it had a lot of heat and for a very good reason. She's just such a tight, brilliant writer. And it's essays if you haven't come across them. Tolentino writes for The New Yorker. She is sort of the voice of the digital native generation, I guess. And that's what really came across to me in this collection. She's very talented at using the microcosm of herself to look at issues that are really important for particularly millennials, I think. And actually, it's really... What's the word I'm looking for? I found pleasure in reading through that perspective and it not be being denigrated. Or it was... She takes things seriously that maybe haven't been taken seriously by a lot of like very serious thinkers in a way that has always felt a bit aggressive towards younger generations. And Tolentino gets into the nitty gritty of having a digital self and interrogates her own responses to the culture in a way that is really free, actually. I find her ability to see herself clearly and analyse and criticise her own thinking as a structure of getting to the point of something that's bigger and more kind of culturally relevant to lots of different people, really, really energizing. And I haven't really read writing like that before. It feels like an extension of a lot of what's been happening in the world of essays, but that she's taken it somewhere and turbocharged it. So yeah, if you're if you're looking for really energizing nonfiction that says things about the world we're living in right now and that might make you think differently about yourself in relation to these things, such as like Feminism, contemporary feminism, what does it mean? What does a feminist literary theory look like? But also, what does it mean to get married now? And all of, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. Do it. Yeah, I am I was a big fan. I thought some of the essays were, were more successful than others, but as a collection, it's so great. And she's just great, as you're saying, on the marriage of the high and the low. Yeah. I, I, like, taking a serious intellectual lens and putting it to popular culture and the sort of, way in which we live now which for me is like catnip so yeah I loved it yeah it's fun it's really fun she's also very funny yeah but what what I loved about it is that she allows it to be fun and funny and also rigorous and serious she's a very rigorous journalist which is a joyful thing my next book is Trust Exercise by Susan Choi, which I was hoping would be an under-the-radar recommendation, and then it won the National Book Award <laughs> the other day. So I don't, I don't know how under-the-radar it necessarily is. But I don't know that it's had as much attention in the UK, so I'm sticking to it. I love fiction about fiction, and I really think this book is metafiction at its best. It's a story about a couple at a performing arts high school and their very demanding teacher But it is also ultimately a commentary on who gets to tell stories, the fragility of truth, the fragility of memory, and how that 
it, it's never really possible to understand a full story. And also just in the context of our present moment, especially how that relates to sexual abuse and I'm, abuse of power. I read half of it and, and haven't been able to finish it. And I'm dying to, like dying to. I thought you were going to be like, and I hated it. No, <laughs> I loved it. I yeah. it. But it just other things happened and I yeah. had to abandon it. No, it's re- really recommended. My next one is Paul Takes the Form of a Mortal Girl by Andrea Lawler, which, again, I've been rapturous about on the show before, I think, as a recommendation. But it's an absolute riot. And if you just want something that is really engaging, sexy, funny, clever and really quite transporting, then I I recommend it. Um, It's about a shape-shifting, gender-fluid character called Paul who can change their body from male to female at will, kind of emerging out of Virginia Woolf's Orlando, but it's kind of Orlando... And it's not it's not just Orlando, but there's an element of it that's basically Orlando on acid in the 90s in the United States, roaming around queer utopias, trying to have sex with everyone and figure things out in the process. Um, Lawler writes sex so well, which is not an easy thing. And, you know, sex is a huge part of this book. And Paul is having sex as a gay man, as a gay woman, as a straight man, as a straight woman. Like they're covering all of these different bases and Andre Lawler is able to write all of those different sex experiences in a way that's convincing and relatable or totally wild and exciting, which I think is excellent, excellent skill. Um, But it's also a look at what a queer utopia might look like and how gender and queer theory bled into the mainstream in a way that was really interesting and actually gives quite a good grounding in all of that. And if you're not that familiar with those kinds of things, it's a really wonderful way into that through a fictional story that's a riot but it will teach you a lot and it might lead you to making your own investigations again another book for uncle joe (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah it's just a wonderful read i recommend it very highly great it did yeah it's i mean it made a bit of a splash but i would like to read it yeah i think you'd enjoy it well my final recommendation is a book not published this year although published quite recently which is the second book in the outline trilogy by rachel cusk and it is called Transit. I am going to read Kudos, the last book, over Christmas, so I can report back on that. But genuinely, this is one of the best reading experiences I had this year. Cusk is doing something totally different with fiction, so much so that I find it kind of difficult to describe why it's so different. You know, I was like, when I was putting this list together, I was like, I'm not very good at articulating why what she does feels so revolutionary. But It's the narrative of this one woman, Kay, moving about her life in London and listening to other people talk to her. And yet somehow it's also a commentary on domesticity and making your life as a woman and the way we project ourselves into the world, but also the way we listen and how we become a collection of other people's stories. I think it's partially that her writing is so succinct and perfect in this way that just makes it a total pleasure to read and makes you think a lot about everyday life in a, in a new and different way. So yeah, I'd really recommend that whole trilogy and transit was, is, you know, sometimes the middle sags a bit, but this, this didn't. I was going to say, did you prefer it to outline? I think I did prefer it to outline, but I don't know if that's because I read it in a much more receptive place right and you committed already outline had done some of the work already I think so yeah yeah. that's so often the case with trilogies and I read it in a much more concentrated way outline I read before bed over a number of weeks and transit I read pretty quickly 
and that often changes a reading experience for me as well. Massively, same. I I found outline everything you just said about transit. I found an outline, which is the only one I've read. But her writing, as you say, it's so clean and tight. You feel in such safe hands. Mm. You can totally give yourself over to it. And it's funny too. Yeah, yeah. Which people don't often talk about when they talk about Cusk. But just having the experience of hearing people project themselves into the world in a way in which they're not always aware of how they're coming across is hilarious yeah good observations yeah defo what's your last book octavia i mean this is not going to be a surprise either i was rapturous about this on the show in the past but it's called her body and other parties by carmen maria machado which wasn't published last year but i read last year or this year rather i should say it's just so good it's so good and it fulfilled my need for literature to be not realist at all but making comments about realist life you know life in reality I should say realist life what am I doing um there it's short stories they are so imaginative and her voice is so new to me you know it's really singular um and they're very different from one another each of the stories but there's the full the the thread that flows through them is her perspective and her voice. I would read her writing anything. I would read a shopping list written by Carmen Maria Machado. They're kind of breaking the boundaries of genre fiction as well. I think a lot of people would try to put them in genre, but they're not really. There's dystopia all over the place. They're about sex. They're about relationships. They're about humanity. They're about the planet. They're about... um, the ways in which we can and can't see things clearly, the ways in which we do and don't respect one another's boundaries. They're about how we form identity and all of the the ways in which she explores those themes may feel like they're happening on Mars, but they're actually happening in a way that teaches you a lot and makes you think very carefully about your own life and your own experience, which I, I just think is very, very skillful. They remind me a bit of um, some of the energy of uh, Julio Cortázar, um, and the sort of very surreal Latin American short story writers. Um, but yeah, they're fabulous. And she's coming over. She's just written a memoir. And I'm really hoping that she, she'll be over promoting it so we can get her on the show. Yeah, I am I would love to read that collection. You've been so rapturous about it. And it yeah, sounds amazing. it's quite hard to speak eloquently about it because I'm so excited by it. But also it's doing so many things all yeah. at once. But we've talked about this on the show before. I actually think it's harder to speak eloquently about the things you truly love. I agree. Because yeah. you don't want to be fully analytical about them. Yeah. Yeah. I, the thing I loved about the experience of reading these short stories is that every single one basically like hooked me in the belly button and like pulled me into it immediately. I didn't need to warm up ever. I was there and I was like on the mountaintop with the gun or whatever, you know. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, really good. Really, really good. Welcome back to Literary Friction. I'm Octavia Bright here with my wonderful co-host Carrie Plitt and we are about to talk about our New Year's reading resolutions. So Carrie, how do you feel about this whole segment? You know my answer. I hate New Year's resolutions. Well, I don't hate them, but I just don't do them. People have said this before, but you are really setting yourself up to fail and why should some artificial marker of the end of the year be 
the time when you decide to make a resolution. I think we change our lives gradually and at the times when it makes sense to change them. And I just think being obsessed with self-improvement in such a regimented way is unhealthy. I'm with you. I'm with you. It's also, it's a construct. It's a capitalist construct. It's so we spend money on things that will make us better. Yeah. But in the spirit of this segment, <laughs> I, I think reading resolutions are okay because well, it's not... We're not necessarily tying it to within a 12-month period. It's just that what would you like to change in your reading life in the next unspecified amount of time? Okay. I, I'll, I'll get on board with that. <laughs> <laughs> I have prepared some answers. So, well, one of the things I always mean to do with reading that I never quite do in a regimented way is write down all of the books that I've read. It's yeah. I find it so annoying that I don't do this because I it's so it nice to look at a list of the books you've read. And I've tried different things. I've tried a list on my computer. I've tried having cute little notebooks. And then I abandon them and lose them. And I don't quite know how to actually make this work. But my new idea is that I'm going to combine it with another thing that I keep meaning to do, which is keep a diary, which I would really like to start doing and have tried to do again over my life at different times. And I was thinking that maybe if every time I finished a book, I wrote down the book and then sort of reflected on it, but also maybe led that out into more sort of general diary writing, that that would be a great way to both keep track of what I've read, but also have a sense of how those books have influenced my life in a way that maybe would make me more open to starting to write in a diary. That's a great idea. I've kept a diary since I could write and it is a like wonderful, very vital practice in my life. Yeah, I think that's so cool. It's, it's one of the things I admire about you. Oh, darling, that's kind. I mean, I admire a lot of things about you. <laughs> Lay it on me, baby. <laughs> no, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. I don't do it every day and there are times... The, I think the, the trick with diary writing is never to beat yourself up about it if you don't do it every day because then it defeats the point. It's like a pleasurable, instructive practice in your life that you shouldn't judge yourself around, you know, shouldn't again. It's better not to judge yourself about it, you know. Um, and then it can be so enriching. And I love going back sometimes and seeing also my memory is not that great. So it's a great way of holding on to what's going yeah. on in my life. Yeah. yeah. But it's interesting. I, I don't always write down how I'm responding to the things I'm reading. I go through phases where I very much do. But I love the idea of having a really clear document of how your reading life intersects with your personal life. That's like, that that's kind of the lens through which you start it. I think it's going to be so enriching and exciting. And also, I would actually love to read it. But I know that's not going to happen. <laughs> pretty open person <laughs> <laughs> just you wait until you get into diary writing honey you're not gonna want to read it <laughs> oh god yeah i mean looking through my teenage diaries like but it's wonderful yeah it's no so, it's great like heinous but also yeah. wonderful also do you know my sister told me the other day that she used to steal my diary um and go make herself popcorn and and go into the woods behind our house and read it That's like, with a snack oh isn't that amazing God. like a movie <laughs> that is absolutely amazing but it's true but that impulse is like i would have done anything to get my hands on my mother's diaries anything she used to lock her study door she knew yeah i remember Basically, i used I just to wanted... tell my mom that i was jealous of her therapist oh wow which is interesting i mean that's classic kids mm. though it's yeah. like kids just want to be in everything that takes their parents attention away from them you know my yeah. mom had to lock the study door because i always Brilliant. wanted to get in what a little idiot <laughs> anyway <laughs> good what's your resolution 
Uh, very boring, but I want to organise my bloody bookshelves because I've been moving around a lot in the last couple of years. I'm about to move again, hopefully somewhere that I'm going to be for at least 12 months. And I want to have a bit more of a relationship, a spatial relationship with the books in my life because at the moment they're split between my parents' house, boxes in an attic somewhere else where I'm living now, um, and and I miss them and I miss the relationship I have with my thinking life when I was more permanently based somewhere and I had them on shelves and they weren't organized. I don't organize them in a particularly anal way, but I have quite a visual memory and I know where they are in relation to one another on the shelves. And that's gone. And I felt quite lost without that relationship to them. But I think also one of the wonderful things about doing this show is that we get sent a huge number of proofs and never enough time to read all of them. And I want to find a better way of keeping them for when there is going to be time because at the moment they're piles and piles and I lose them and I lose track of which ones I'm interested in and it feels disrespectful to the writers and the mm. publishers and it's a complicated element of like the wonderful things that doing this job brings brings in. But I just, I want to be, I want to be more careful about it. And I think having a tactile relationship with books is something that brings me a lot of solace and a lot of joy. And and so f- making that relationship a little bit easier is going to be a good thing. I think that's a great resolution. I need that too. I think the problem is that I'm living in a rented house and I just know we're going to have to move soon. And also we moved when we moved into the house, there was there were no bookshelves yeah, in the entire yeah. house. And we bought some, but I'm du- I've double stacked all of my books right now because they just don't fit in the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so it's, hard, isn't it? It is. It's really difficult. It's it's a it's a pain in the ass. It is the impermanence of these things and how books basically books are basically like a wonderful action against impermanence. Yeah. I feel that way. I'm this sounds like I'm bragging, but I don't think I'm very materialistic. And the only objects that I really care about in my life are books. Yeah. No, you're not very materialistic at all. It's a lovely thing about you. Yeah. I I wanna learn. I can be incredibly materialistic. Love shoes. I think it leads to a sort of like Spartan not caring about the spaces in which I live, which I'm trying to correct about myself. Mm. Yeah. Well, there's it's the, the imbalance in all things, right? Yeah. Whereas I can be all aesthetics over substance in a way that means I live in quite an uncomfortable way. <laughs> it like looks great, but it's not. You no know way you can put your feet I'm up. just in a sweatshirt in like a bare empty room on a comfortable <laughs> couch. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god perfect yeah um <laughs> so do you have any other resolutions yeah just a, just a few in terms of reading one is that i would love to read more tony morrison same here yeah I, yeah i read beloved years and years ago but i don't remember it very clearly so i think maybe i should just reread beloved but i would also love to read the bluest eye which so many people have recommended to me and i hate to use the death of an author as an impetus to read their books but Hey ho. It happens. Yeah. It is one of the things that happens. And I don't think it's necessarily bad. You know, like it's a moment. There are so many writers and there are so many wonderful books out there. And very sadly, when someone passes away, it's the thing that brings it to your attention. But I think lean into it. You know, thanks. Also, did I just say hey ho? I think that's you did. <laughs> say is that a British thing? Honey, I don't think I've ever know. said that before in my life. Okay. <laughs> anyway. I would also really like to read Portrait of a Lady by Henry James. You which would. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. People keep telling me to read Henry James, and I've never actually really read any Henry James. And I started reading Portrait of a Lady on holiday, and I stopped. But it wasn't because I wasn't enjoying it. I just It got taken over, and I just feel like I need to finish this book. Yeah. I mean, he's a good writer. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, he's a very good. The writer. disdain dripping from. Well, I, you know, I, I love books that are about how minds work yeah. and morality, and it seems to me that Henry James is is one of the great examiners of that big time just remember what perspective he's coming from yes you know i will thank that's you that's the important thing to thank remember you on reading James. James. Yeah. Oh God, <laughs> looking sorry. over my shoulder well, get no, out you, of my you keep me you keep me in it that's my job thank you <laughs> um and then finally i just love to read some more memoirs i recently realized that i really like memoirs and have actually read more memoirs than i thought i had read when i thought about it but i i think Especially right now, it seems to be a really rich time for memoir writing. But I'd love to dig back into some older memoirs. So I don't know, Joan Didion. Oh, I've so heard good. Negro Land by Margot Jefferson is great. The Liars Club by Mary Carr is meant to be great. Barbarian Days. But honestly, I'd love some recommendations of, of great memoirs from listeners if yeah, they have any. There's so many out there. Joan Didion, just the master in my opinion. Um, how about you? Well, I want to read more in French and Spanish again. It's something I've become quite lazy about and I've had to be reading in French for something I'm researching at the moment and it's been really wonderful and it's challenging because I'm rusty and slow but um, there's been something incredibly instructive about the experience of reading the second language again because you have a completely different relationship to the text because it's not instinctive so you're engaging intellectual faculty in a kind of different way. Um, it slows you down. And actually, that is really a really rich way to relate to a text slower than you would think normally. And it's making me realize how when you're reading with an agenda and you're reading in English, it's very easy to just like barrel through and maybe not consider meaning as carefully as you might otherwise. And this experience has been making me just very much realize that and realize that, you know, every word has multiple ways of reading it and when you're having to translate a little bit in your head as you go you're hyper aware of that mm. and it makes you reflect back on your native language in a different way um and it, it, yeah just reveling in the versatility of language as well and the the idea of um yeah reading reading as a translator is a thing that i used to get a lot of joy out of when my language was better when i was living in paris and when i was speaking french more um and spanish more so it's an exciting thing to, to reconnect with. And also I've been really sad to notice how much my language is slipping and it's the way to stay connected to it. So that's what I'm hoping for. So actually, if anyone has any um, recommendations of good contemporary French or Spanish literature that I should be reading, hit us up. And then my other one is to, I want to read more work that's engaging with climate crisis, fiction, nonfiction, the lot, because I really have felt this, the fear and anxiety that I have about that stuff. I've been having to repress it quite a lot just to get on with life, like a lot of people. And I don't want to do that anymore. It's not its not making me very well, you know? I want to face it. And I'm facing it with a lot of the journalism I'm reading, but I want it to be something that I'm welcoming in, you know? It's like the bad feelings, you welcome them in at the door to join you at the table, and they're not as pressing as when you're slamming the door on them, telling them to leave you alone. Yeah. I've heard Uninhabitable Earth by David Wallace-Wells is really good yeah. and a good place to start. Same. I, I'm, I want to read it. I want to read it, but I'm struggling to like hold it in my hands, you know, because mm. it will change me. Of course it will. It will change it, will, it, but it should. So there we go. Those are my resolutions. Great. Um, good resolutions. Yours too. We can hold each other to them I in a gentle. I want to keep your resolutions. <laughs> you can have them. You can have mine. Okay. I want to keep some of yours. <laughs> anyway. Is it the Henry James one? Oh, definitely. It's top of my fucking list. <laughs> yeah. No, let's um, let's check back in with each other gently. Yeah, gently. I will support you in yours. You'll support me in mine. Good. Perfect. Deal. 
We will be back in a minute with our cultural recommendations. Hello, welcome back. I'm Octavia Bright here with Carrie Plitt. We are back to give you very quickly some general cultural recommendations of things that we've done recently that we've loved that are not reading because we do do things that are not reading occasionally. Occasionally. I was I was on the ground this month, if I'm <laughs> totally honest. But. <laughs> Me too a little bit. So anyway, lay it out. What, did, what, did, what have you done? What do you like? Who well, are you? <laughs> who, am, who am I? It's a good question. It is. I don't know. It's one for our next show. Yeah. <laughs> Just teeing it up. Yeah. It's about therapy. It's about therapy. Yeah. Um, and Ben Lerner. Yeah. Stay Great. tuned. Yeah. Anyway. The first is the new FKA Twigs album, Magdalene, which is just a spectacular breakup album. It's raw. It is fragmented. It's soaring. I've just been really enjoying listening to it as I walk around frosty Oxford. So um, Amazing. it's a good one. I'm not that familiar with her music, but I think she's a very, very cool person on the scene. Yeah, I think you would like it, actually. Check, yeah. it, check it out. I want to get into it. She's doing cool stuff. And um, also, she's just, having seen her in concert, like, she's she's this amazing dancer, and she puts on this, like, really cool show as well. So I just, I really like her. Yeah. And I really like this album. And then my other one, I'm grasping for straws here, but <laughs> I do love the Christmas period. <laughs> Um, and I love listening to Christmas carols. Good for you. Yeah. Um, and especially Christmas carols sung by choirs. I'm sure this is partially a nostalgia thing for me because I sing in a lot of choirs and we always did a Christmas show every year. And so it's just, it was just part of my upbringing, but I love, you know, the especially mysterious Christmas carols like O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and I Wonder As I Wander, both great carols. If you want to check them out. Don't know what they are, but um, <laughs> I'll tell you word for it. <laughs> I'm also partial to the very jolly, merry ones like Ding Dong Merrily on High. Great. Banging tune. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Tomorrow Shall Be My Dancing Day, which is a new one I've uh, just discovered. So good. We used to have to sing that in school in the round in the different parts. It's brilliant. Yeah. And I've recently discovered an arrangement of it um, when I went to the Christchurch Christmas service that I have been listening to on repeat recently, like honestly. And it is a total banger. <laughs> Check it out. There's a version recorded by the Winchester Cathedral Choir, which is on Spotify, which is on their A Christmas Celebration album. It's great. So much syncopation. Very jolly. Very Christmassy. We'll get you into the spirit. I'm down for that. Yeah. Scrooge over here. So, but it's like Chris, but choir singing is a beautiful sound. It is. It's really beautiful. And it's something that it's very easy to forget about. And then at Christmas time, it's brought into the consciousness in a really wonderful way. I'm with you. I'm totally with you. I'm just teasing you. Okay, fine. (laughs) And also my final Christmas recommendation is Muppet Christmas Carol, which is the best Christmas movie of all time. And I will not hear otherwise. I fully support you in that. It is the best Christmas movie of all time. And I can't wait to watch it. Me neither. Can we do a screening together? Yeah, I would love that. (laughs) Okay, great. (laughs) What are your cultural? recommendations mine uh first one is a podcast heavyweight by jonathan yes i love heavyweight oh Oh my god it's so good and the new series is brilliant and it's just been bringing me so much joy he's so funny 
And he's so weird as he's well. He's so weird in this completely <laughs> relatable way. I find his weirdness like makes me feel better in the world, you know. Um, he's interviewing people about things in their lives that have gone a bit wrong or that haven't gone how they wanted and helping them seek resolution. And it's so humane and gentle and funny. And, you know, it satisfies that need to know about the dysfunctions of other people in order to feel okay oneself. Maybe that's very revealing about me, but that's definitely what I get from it so much of the time is just like, I've never heard an episode where there's not something I can relate to in a really profound way. And I've never heard an episode that hasn't made me laugh out loud. And sometimes they make me weep. And it's just, it's like the full, the hit of the full fruit, shall we say, of human beings. Yeah, um, so good. And I think it's really doing what podcasts can do best, you know, that really human person to person kind of contact. So yeah, brilliant one to listen to while you're wrapping your Christmas presents. Yeah, I would say a place to start if you haven't listened is the one from the first season with the guy who got really angry that Moby never returned his CD collection. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> like the artist Moby. The artist it's Moby. so good. Yeah, and, and somehow something that's so silly turns into something incredibly profound. Very profound and also very revealing about Moby who, spoiler, is a dick. <laughs> Yeah, it's brilliant. So yeah. good. And then my other one, Bridget Riley at the Hayward. It's a belter of an exhibition. It's massive. Firstly, I just love that gallery. The space is always really exciting. Um, and I went on a really crisp morning early and was in there before it got really rammed, which I very much recommend. It's it's quite exquisite to stand in front of her canvases without lots of people around you. Seeing so much of her work together, it's just a trip. She is a force and each canvas vibrates and sings and fucks you up a little bit in a way in a good way <laughs> but the other thing I loved about it is upstairs they have a room where you can see how her work evolved and they have because she she makes abstract work if you're not familiar with her she's kind of you will have seen her stuff without knowing whose it was it's very psychedelic a lot of it's black and white but there's plenty of experiments with color as well abstract shapes circles lines stripes that dazzle and move in front of your eyes and make you feel like your high basically but uh, upstairs they have the development of her work and you see some of the figurative stuff that she did before she started working abstractly and it's beautiful and also how she copied an artist called Sura who painted he invented this technique called pointillism, pointillism right where you paint with dots and she copied his work dot for dot as a way of finding her own style and her own way of looking at things which That's is so cool so cool yeah. and her, the thing I think that I took from it more than anything else really is she talks about how everything that she's ever worked on can be traced very specifically to coming out of what came before it and it's this incredibly simple phrase uh, or idea but it there's something so comforting about it that just like nothing you do is wasted everything that comes next is always building on what came before so it doesn't really matter you know I found it I found it like a liberating idea obviously if what comes out of what came before is work like Bridget Riley's, you're doing very, very well. <laughs> but it's a lovely thing. So yeah, it's fun and, and, and uplifting and I recommend it as a, a thing to do on a crisp winter's morning. Very quickly, also watching the Philip Pullman adaptation has been bringing me joy and I won't hear a word said against it and I don't care how basic it makes me. I just love it. I don't think it makes you basic. I've only watched the first two episodes. I need to catch up, but... Yeah, it's just great. There's things about it that you can say. There are criticisms to be levied for sure, but at the same time, I'm just loving being in the world. I, You know, it's never going to not feel like that. And there's something about it that feels incredibly Christmassy, which is weird because it's definitely not pro-Christmas. Well, they go to the north. Yeah, it's snowy and there's a polar bear. <laughs> 
But yeah, it's anti-Christmas. It's if anything, totally it's anti-Christmas. But I think Philip Pullman would be culturally in favor of Christmas. I don't know. He's very anti-religion. Mm, and very yeah. anti. But, but I'm very anti-religion. And I pro, love Christmas. Yeah, and he'd be pro the pagan roots. I yeah. think, and I think he'd be pro the ritual. Let's say. I don't know. Phil? Yeah, well, I don't. We, <laughs> let's not put ideas into his mind. No, exactly. Who knows? Who I knows what he'd be in favor of us feeling Christmassy about his adaptation. Yeah, maybe. I think he's a generous man. I think he's a generous man, too. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we'll find a way to call him up and ask him these questions. I live in the same city as him. You no do. big deal. Yeah. OMG. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe we'll report back to you on that. We'll okay. find out what Philip Pullman thinks about Christmas. Um, and then the last one, my biggest recommendation of the year is a video game called Untitled Goose Game, which has been everywhere. It's really broken through into the mainstream. It was by this indie game designer. I don't consider myself a gamer particularly. And... I will bang this drum until the end of time. If you haven't played it, play it. It will enrich your life. It's just, you play this horrible goose and you just run around a village and fuck things up and steal people's sandwiches and hats and dig up their food and cause absolute mayhem. And it is the release that everybody needed that people didn't realize. Like they needed the chance to just be pure chaos because we're in living in this incredibly chaotic time where everyone's having to restrain themselves in one way or another. And then you get this opportunity to just be a nightmare. <laughs> it's so good. And the thing that's really interesting about it is it has captured people's imagination and it's crossed over into li the literary world in quite a big way as well. There's been a lot of think pieces and some very brilliant journalistic writing about it, but also some amazing creative writing about it, where people imagine being in the goose's mind and what it feels like to be just a genuine free radical. I mean, if you know about the Dungeons and Dragons categories, this goose is chaotic evil, <laughs> like chaotic evil embodied in this fluffy yellow beaked form and wiggles its bottom. I don't know. It's just great. It's a great it's a great thing. Are you chaotic evil? No, I'm, I think I'm probably chaotic, good to neutral. Neutral more than good, because I don't believe in upholding rules for the sake of upholding rules. But I do believe in integrity. What about you? I'm lawful good. Oh, my God. <laughs> you so are. Aren't you? <laughs> You're like I, Captain I'm America. I'm like pretending to be um, upset about it, but I'm not. Yeah. It's a little embarrassing, but it's just oh, Why is it embarrassing? Well, because I love rules a little bit too much, I think. Right. But, you know, society needs to be made up of a balance of different energies and entities. So you need people, you need lawful good people in the group. But if everybody was lawful good, it would be a terrible place to live. If everybody was chaotic neutral, nothing would get done. Yeah. I think you're chaotic good. Yeah, I probably am chaotic good. I quite like to be chaotic neutral, but I'm actually... I think you have a good heart. I do. Inside of you. Thank you. I Merry do. Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas. I do have a good heart, Tony Tim, I do. Um... Well, that's it. That's all we have for you today. It's been a very long mini-sode. It really has. Um, but it's our Christmas gift maxi to you. Maxi-sode. A maxi-sode. <laughs> also, uh, one last thing is that um, we have launched our Etsy shop where you can buy our wonderful Literary Friction tote bags. Um, every penny we make from these is going back into the show. It's going to help us make it bigger and better. So please buy them all. <laughs> They're great. We've been using them for the last month and they have not fallen apart, not even come close to it. They've got a really healthy gusset. You can fill them with bags, small dogs, shoes, whatever you want. Buy our totes. Buy our totes. They're totes a maze. <laughs> I had to, didn't I? Should yeah. I not? No, it's, yeah, just go with it. Yeah, lean into them. You can think of it as kind of chaotic energy. Thanks, babe. <laughs> 
I don't think that works. Anyway, I feel ashamed and dirty. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, do buy them. They're wonderful. And we are just, as ever, incredibly grateful for your support. Thank you for listening. Thank you for helping us build Literary Friction. Here's to another year of brilliant interviews and all kinds of other exciting things. Here, here. Yeah. Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy Hanukkah. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.